So, second topic, we can talk about marriage and family. What's marriage and family? Is marriage on its way out? That was my question. Well, we'll have a conversation because your question's stupid. (laughs) Okay, but you're ready to rebut me, not just tell me it's stupid and move on, right? Oh, she just hung up. (laughs) (laughs) She just hung. She just hung. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in L.A. Hello. And Jason, also in New York City, sitting across from me. Yes. Yes. Glad to be here. Glad to be acknowledged that I'm here. You know. Okay. Jason, he wanted everyone to know that we are together. We are hanging out. Trisha was just in New York, but she's back in LA as of yesterday. Yeah. How was your trip? It was fantastic. I saw a ton of Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. You did a lot. I did. I was. It was delightful. Broadway shows. I saw The Vessel, which is basically a staircase to nowhere, but beautiful. So you're talking <laughs> about the new Hudson Yards neighborhood, which was just like, if you walked that far before, you fell off the edge of Manhattan. But now there's... <laughs> Really expensive housing that no one can afford. And the aforementioned vessel, which is a staircase to nowhere, which someone tells me is art. And I'm, I just have to believe them because that's how it is with art. It's very pretty, though. I mean, we walked up it. I think it's like 2000 stairs. But they they set it up in such a way that it's fairly easy to climb it up, climb up because you can you can go in any direction on, on it. It's very good. So it doesn't feel like you're climbing a lot. <laughs> you should all know that I watched my first football game the other day. Why? Good question. I befriended this straight guy who was watching football, and he's like, oh, we should watch football. And I was like, oh, I mean, the whole thing was brotastic. The masculinity was toxic. But I was like, this is an experience. Let's watch this. I never understood how football worked before. There, I said it. I just learned how to play. I still don't understand it. I don't understand the coming on and coming off, but that's because I guess there are two teams. There's an offense and a defense, and they're not always playing at the same time, I guess. And there's different ways to win points, and it's all wildly complicated. <laughs> but but it was actually exciting. Like, one team was, like, kicking or running, and they were, like, going to lose. <laughs> and then the other team, like, kicked and ran in a different direction, and they won. And it was really... <laughs> It was really nail-biting up into the end because you're like, oh, are they going to be able to kick it in the right direction? Are they going to be able to run in the right direction? Uh, as, as much as I expressed on the last episode how much I don't <laughs> like professional football, I'm embarrassed by you two right now. Like, I'm totally embarrassed. I thought I did really well for my first game. It was <laughs> it was exciting. It was exciting. I, I enjoyed it. It was a good sports experience. Like, I thought you'd be happy about that. Jesus, Jason, there's no pleasing you. Anyway, <laughs> what have you been up to? You're in New York. Why? What are you doing here? I'm on a work trip, but what I've been up to, I bought a new car, which I'm very excited about. Okay. Now, you may remember that Jason's previous car is disgusting. Oh, uh, that's true. Now, can I just say, Chris can't get over the fact I didn't buy a new car because the old one was dirty. That was not one of the factors. It should it have, have been. been. It should have been. Let I'm me tell car. you, if you open up the back seat of Jason's car and you look in there, there is food like crusted in, like crusted. 
Like, it's as if the kids open the food, then dump the food all over the seat. You, um, please. Remember, Trisha, were you there when we were in yep. D.C. a couple years ago? We yep. had to put a towel down to sit in the back seat. No one should live like that. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? That was like, no one should live like that. That's just this car. There are people who live in spaces like that. I think at one point in time, Jason, I don't remember, years ago, we, vi- we went to visit some random friend of Chris's. And I went into the bathroom, and there was like a fine sheen of hair or dust on the bathroom. Who was this? I'll bleep out the name. Tell me who it was. It was some young boy, I'm sure. And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) It was some young boy, I'm sure. You know, like a teenage boy's first apartment or something. But I was like... How does one have their their bathroom be like this? Like it was, it's not a place that you wanted to turn on the faucet to use the sink because it was just like let's not even try in this space. <laughs> Can I tell you something? When I was growing up, first of all, my parents were always like, you know, you know, you got to clean up every room. Like you got to make your bed. Everything's got to be like completely clean all the time. And I used to be so annoyed until I got to high school and I started going to friends' houses. I went to a very small elementary school. We all knew each other, right? But when I went, when I got to high school and it was like a wider group and I went to those people's houses and you walk in, I heard there was this one girl, I won't name her. I went into her house and there was like on the stairs going up to the second floor, there was like clothes, shoes, (laughs) like a dog dish. Like a bicycle chain, like the chain from the bicycle, like oily, like on the stairs. And like I was looking around, I was like, oh my God. And like the living room was like piles of clothes. And I was like, is this how people live? And like, you know, of course they were white people. So I immediately believed things about white people. I was like, oh, so this is how they live. (laughs) I, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll just say during my Tinder period, there were some times when I dated some younger women. And I can remember going into some apartments and thinking, you are still in college. Like, you're that's how you're out living. of college, you know, 10 years, but you, your place looks like a disgusting dorm where you just had an all-nighter eating pizza with six people in your room studying. You know what's more? Your Tinder date invited you home and that's what it looked like. That they were like, this is the impression I'm making. He's going to go for it. This is the night. <laughs> I know. We feel like we're such a, like cleanliness nerds. But it's not even. I feel like my space is not even at base that that much clean. Cleaner than anyone else because I really don't like to clean. But I do like monitor my space so that I can clean often. And for brief spells of time. Like I don't want to do one of those like two hour cleanings. I do like a five minute clean. Daily. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, admittedly, I'm more of a neat freak than a clean freak. Oh. Like, I just need everything organized. I am so anti-filth that I refuse to cook in my kitchen. Like that's how far it's gone. <laughs> I don't cook in there because I don't want I don't want grease spattering somewhere where I can't reach it. I don't want an errant piece of food flying off of the that's, grill. That's just impractical. It, you know what? This is how I'm living because I don't <laughs> – listeners, oh, I love to see Trisha just head flung back laughing as she just pours brandy. What are you drinking? What are you drinking tonight? It's not even brandy. Although my sister got me um, a new bottle of sparkling wine. It's okay. It's a little sparkling rosé. Enjoy. I, should we all be drinking? I feel like – maybe that's why you're always so scintillating on this podcast and everyone loves you. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe it's the drinking. Maybe we're just too sober. 
It can't be that we're mentally inferior. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, 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 no. <laughs> more about this new car is it fancy is it like a hybrid it is a I hybrid. Knew it. oh my god oh, you know is. me so oh, well everybody knows you yeah it is a corolla <laughs> hybrid allowing me to maintain or recover my moral superiority wow okay you know what L- let's move directly to topics because i don't want to talk about this anymore okay let's <laughs> just Move right the hell on. So Walter Mosley, Jason's favorite author, recently quit the writing room of CBS's Star Trek Discovery because HR had received a complaint that he had used the N-word in the writer's room. And uh, Walter Mosley was like, well, I'm not having any of this. Now, you know Walter Mosley because he wrote Devil in a Blue Dress and every book that Jason likes. Um, and has recommended on our podcast. And has recommended on the po- Walter Mosley is literally the fourth person. Actually, Walter, get in here. <laughs> He's not here. But I, I wanted to have a broader conversation about the N-word and just revisit where we are on it. But before we jump into this, I just want to write exactly what the complaint was that he said. I think Mosley was telling a story. A cop had said to Walter Mosley that on the streets of Los Angeles, he stops all the N-words in Irish neighborhoods and all the Irish people in N-word neighborhoods. So he was telling this story to somebody else who then was so triggered that they had to complain to HR that Walter Mosley had used the N-word. Before I say my opinion on that, what is your just reaction to this story? And then I'm just curious with both of you, where both of you land on the N-word today in 2019. I mean... Does context not matter anymore? I mean, he's telling a story. I suppose if he was in the telling, he could have said the N-word, but he's a writer and an artist, and he seems like someone who's pretty forthcoming. So I think he would love the I think he would love to just like say the word so it really like resonates in the space. Context matters. I don't understand why that needed that complaint needed to be lodged. I've really evolved on the N-word. I really have. Because I don't use it. I don't have a lot of friends that use it. But I see why Black people use it. And so I don't get angry about that. Because I think Black people should own that experience of using a word that was traditionally used against us. And owning it. But I don't use it. And I just, I'm not comfortable with it. Because I don't, I don't know if you can actually really take over words i don't really know if i really believe in that it doesn't work for me but i don't i I don't think if i if it was said in that environment that i would feel the need to complain because i have a sense of its context and how it should be used there's so much about this story that bothers me and it's not just because i like walter mosley now i do want to acknowledge we've only heard his side of the story because the network or whoever it was won't comment and the complaint was lodged ostensibly anonymously. But reading what he said, it sounded very neutral, so I I think we can take his word for it. And there's just so much that bothers me. First of all, and this has always bothered me in places of work, if someone says something that bothers you, can't you first go talk to them? Can't you first go say, look, I I was uncomfortable with something you said, and have the conversation. They may be apologetic, They may not be. They may change their behavior. They may not. But the first thing you do is go lodge an anonymous complaint to HR. That just pisses me off. Like Trisha said, context, audience, observing audience matters to me. 
Uh, I think it, it absolutely matters where the word gets said, who's saying it, who's listening. I do not use that word. I do not enjoy hearing the word around me, but a lot of that has to do with context. For, in, for instance, um, my really good friend is black and Jamaican, and when we are alone, he will use that word with me. And because contextually I understand how he's using it in the context of our relationship, it sort of rolls off me. But I'll tell you this, when we shared an office at a job and the door would be open and he would say it, I'd be like, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't you let them hear you, you know? It just, it means something different. Also, in another case that happened, this just happened to me this weekend. I started going to a new gym, whatever. I'm going to CrossFit now. I'm one of those gays. Okay, fine. So <laughs> <laughs> I walked into the CrossFit gym. It's me, a black woman, and there's maybe like 18 white people around. And you go into these gyms and the music is blaring. And the one song that happened to be on was like, N-word this, N-word that, N-word this, N-word that. I would have been in the gym for about a good 40 seconds and I'd heard it about six times. So I'm looking around and I'm thinking, do I want to be in a space where white people are mouthing along to this music and I have to work out and endure this? But I was fully, fully cognizant of the fact that if I was in a place that was majority black, it wouldn't have faced me at all because I think context really does matter. But these sensitivities and also, like Jason said, there's no confirmation from the studio. But I think just in some of Mosley's statements, like, I feel like I'm reading between the lines that the person who made the complaint was white. That was the impression I got. I think we have to be careful, actually, because I was doing a little bit of background reading. Speaking of context, a thing to note about the show is that it's actually got a very diverse writer's room in general. I mean, apparently the writer's room has three African-American writers, two Asian-American writers, a Native American, and a Latinx woman. So there's no guarantee that the person who actually made the complaint was white. Okay. But the but the other thing that's interesting about it, apparently, is that two of the showrunners had been released from the show previously for creating a hostile work environment where there was a lot of, like, really horrific language being used. So actually what they did was create this sort of, like, anonymous reporting to help with that. So it's like Jason's thing was, you know, you should feel comfortable going up and confronting a person. I, I actually want to push back a little bit at that because there's so many different power differentials in workspaces that you can't take for granted that you're going to be able to comfortably go up to another person who's done and said something and feel as if you're going to be heard. Because again, it is Walter Mosley. He's probably the most famous writer in that space. That's so true. if you were a junior writer and you felt uncomfortable about it, because, you know, maybe like you, Chris, that person's looking around in the room and going, you don't tell this story here. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what was going on. So I think those dynamics are playing out as well. This show is really special in the sense that I think a lot of really tragic things maybe have happened in the writer space. So people are probably hypersensitive. But I still don't have a problem with the story. Because I also think that that's also Walter Mosley as well. Like, don't you also take in consideration the person you bring in the space? Because he, to his point, he said they would be comfortable if he wrote it in the script. Which is what they said to him, isn't it? Wasn't the thing? They were like, you can use it in a script on CBS. <laughs> you can but use it in a script, in just don't group? say it. Well, and, and again, he, he was quoting someone else. I, yeah. I just can't. You're right, Trisha. You make some really good points. We don't know exactly what the feeling in the room was at the time. I guess to get to your question, Chris, my own perspective is I am perfectly comfortable with black people 
choosing to use the word and uncomfortable with anybody else using it. You know, every couple of years, not even now, nowadays, it's like every six months, like why people want to ask, why can't we say the N word? And I just, I'm exhausted of explaining why not. As a matter of fact, that was a headline this week. Someone said, well, they were wondering if there was a difference between the N word and cracker. Now, clearly there is, because I said cracker, and, and I didn't say, say yeah. the N-word, right? Uh, so, where's HR? I am about to lodge a complaint. <laughs> no, Who's just talk to HR her did? first. Talk to I her know, first. <laughs> the thing that's noteworthy about it is language. Like, language and power in language is what the N-word conversation is about, right? It's the reason why cracker doesn't have any resonance. It's like, it's the powerless that that is sort of damaged by the use of the n-word right if you are in a if you're it's kind of like when people say oh my god it's reverse sexism what we don't even understand what those terms mean like do you have the power to sort of execute (laughs) these uh, these sort of reverse sexist ideas to your point chris about not really feeling comfortable depending on the environment what about other words like, what about, like, for you in a space where, um, do you feel comfortable in a space where other gay people use fag easily and comfortably? Well, this is what I think is interesting, because there's this thing that's caught on now where specifically white gay men will say the F word instead mm-hmm. of faggot. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, it's confusing, because the F word is fuck, and we all know that from when we were <laughs> little, right? So, in context, I don't know what you're saying. Like, he called me the F word. He called you a fuck? Like, what? <laughs> So, I mean, I wonder about this, right? Because I'm like, has that word now elevated to the place of the N-word? And I'm like, you know, I'm both those things. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. If I hear the word faggot, it does not incense me the way the other word does. It just doesn't. And the word doesn't get, like I said, like there are situations where I can hear the N-word and it doesn't phase me. Those are black majority black spaces. But it seems like the word faggot gets thrown around a lot in mixed spaces. I was just in a bar this weekend and the drag queen on the stage was like, come on, faggots, get drinks or whatever. And the audience was full of like gay men, straight women, gay women. Everyone's like, woo. And I was like, that word only applies to gay men, right? So there's a lot of intersections there that just don't line up that they do for the N word. Basically, the history isn't the same. And I think that's what people want. People want to overextend the rules for one to the other without completely misunderstanding or ignoring the history behind these words and why they're different. Well, you know, it's interesting, though. Obviously, you're right. There are differences. But I have to say, those two words, I feel a similar sting when I hear either of those words, particularly the N-word being spoken by someone who's not black. There is a really bad history to the F word, as you Fuck? said. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is a bad history there, too, though. Of course, it's a different history. Listen, this is going to shock you. You're not gay until someone speeding past in a car has shouted, faggot, at you as they're driving past. That's just, that's just something that's happened to every gay person. And it stings, and it hurts, and it you wonder if you're in danger. Are they turning around? Like, it's... The whole thing, even still, it's not the same sting because the history is different. And maybe the I will. Of the present. 
the history yeah. and the present. I think the present weighs on it. You can see that we are still an endangered group. And so the idea that the word no longer has the sort of sting that it purportedly had in the past when we were enslaved. And then that's generally the argument people use to be able to start saying it, right? It's like, you're using it in song, so I should screw that, boo. You, they're words that we all allow each other to use within communities that, that outsiders are not allowed to use. That's just, that's par for the course. Women have it, men have it. I mean, I, I suspect men do. Like, aren't there words that you're allowing other men to call you, but you, you wouldn't want anybody else to call you? Different groups of people have Maybe. that. The guy who I was watching football with was Italian, and we had brought this up. Yeah. Because he has a lot of conservative views, and I was interested in his take on this. And he was like, just like I can't call you the N-word, you can't call me it. And he said that some Italian um, slur. for, And mm-hmm. I was like, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I would never say that. He's like, yeah, but I can. And I say that with my friends. And I was like, okay, well, you have that. Because I understand it doesn't belong to me. And I think that's the thing that, I think it's the thing that gets misapplied. Dave Chappelle in his latest comedy special has this whole thing. It's like, well, why can't I say faggot if I can say the N word? And someone had responded to him on Twitter and was like, this is not that hard. Like, you don't own that word. It doesn't refer to you. It's not about you. So you don't get to make the rules or enjoy any special exceptions to it. It's not that hard to understand. I don't know why we keep having to explain that to people, though. Is it hard to understand? Are we just super smart? Well, no, but I'm curious, though, for Jason. Jason, does that work for Jewish terms? I mean, they may not be doing it like we do it in song in different kind of ways, but that's just how we do our protests, right? That's how we sort of own experiences. Not every group will do it, but I'm just curious. Do people feel comfortable using it endearingly? So I've thought about this. I don't think there are any derogatory terms that Jews are comfortable using to refer to each other. But, and this is not exclusive to Jews, I think about this a lot, Jews love to make fun of each other using Jewish tropes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm not gonna pay a full tip because I'm Jewish, right? Like, and and I, I can remember years ago watching Deaf Comedy Jam, and I was thinking, if anyone non-black said the things that the black comics were saying about black people, <laughs> about being late, about stealing stuff, about not knowing things. It would be outrageous. Ah, oh, plug. Unintended. Plug. But they were, I was like, wow, this is some of the most, I used to think the same thing about in living color, the way they would make fun of black homeless people. And I remember thinking like, this is actually so offensive. But because they're black, everybody's cool with it. And it's the same thing with Jews. Like Jews can make jokes like that all the time about being cheap, but no one else can, or it's it is a bad, bad problem. Well, I mean, I think you can do it because you understand the range of a Jewish experience. So you know that it's not a singular thing. Right. I think the fear is that when other people are talking about it, that is their singular story about right. that group, yes. right? And because we have the complexity of our relationships with each other, we can give each other a pass because obviously we know we don't have to challenge and question our own humanity, right? <laughs> like we, we take yeah. it for yeah, granted, like you know? I think what actually really bothers people is that the N-word is global. It's globally bad. There are some words that are bad in, in, com- in certain communities, in certain spaces, but there are very few words that really has as much sort of power that people don't have the license to access. It's kind of like how people are pushing back on the, the recent piece in the New York Times about slavery. And people are just really upset that 
slavery is like a grounding theme in American history, right? It's like how it can't just all be about that. Well, yeah, you're building yeah, it is unfortunately it everybody. So I think somehow or another, that's the part of the N-word that really drives people bonkers. Is like it's a term that maybe calls to a particular period in time in people's mind as well, and they don't want to own that, and they don't want it to still like still be a shadow on their present. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, I think it's just that these folks just don't like you to tell people, tell them what to do. Yeah. I think you can't say I, it. I, I like what you're saying is that people want to release the power it has over them. Like, so to like open the windows and say, and let the light in the air in. But it's like the fundamental misunderstanding that you don't get to decide that that happens. Like this is outside of you. This is not about you or your group. About t- 10 years ago, there was a movie that premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival called Ticked Off Trannies with Knives. Not two years later, tranny was a word that was put on the no-fly list, mm-hmm. which is something that you can't say in polite company. Also, listeners, we're saying a lot of words here, so trigger warning. Oh, I guess it's too late. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. What's been funny about the word tranny is that this has happened quickly, and in my lifetime, where it's now the kind of thing where people will say the T word or they won't say it at all or they'll avoid saying it. I don't know. I don't know what my question is here. I guess what I'm saying is that I've been fascinated at watching that happen in real time. I mean, I think the big reason for the N word controversy is that because we continue to use it. Because like something like tranny, like the, that phrase, like you said, the nature of people's relationships to it has changed to the point where some words are entirely silenced out. Well, because also I think because there's been the growing alarm and recognition that black trans women are just being murdered willy nilly in the street and people sure. are getting away from it. And so and, and tranny is usually like lodged at those people. I think it's but it's also silent in communities, right? Like it's not a like I think what's interesting is like you think about all the different insult words that you've thought about as we've been talking, but haven't said. Mm-hmm. Many of them are not common parlance, but the N-word is. The N-word it, is. It, I mean, to your point, Chris, yeah, it is so commonly uttered in hip hop music. There are artists that just use it over and over and over. And I think you're right, Trisha. None of these other words are even close in terms of how often they're invoked. Yeah. There was, do you remember on the 1992 Michael Jackson album, Dangerous? It was not 92 or 96. He had that song, They Don't Really Care About Us. And the line said, and I quote, the line said, um, kick me, kike me, don't you black or white me? And people yeah, went like, nuts because it was startling because what you two are saying is that that's not a word that is in our general parlance. Like you don't hear that was that's why the first time you heard it on a disc, like on in music in, I don't know, since who knows, since ever. And so it's super startling. I like what you're saying there. Like the N word is ever present. And so it's it feels like you should be able to just be able to pluck it off a tree. But no, it's the forbidden fruit. Oh, that metaphor carried all the way through. Oof, badly. Wow. <laughs> no, no, but it was true. Uh, and I think what's lovely about it, and this is what I appreciate about it, is that it's, it's, it is ours, right? It was previously someone else's, and the Black community has succeeded in sort of taking it into their own and preventing others from using it. 
I think that's the piece that really enrages others is that you can continue to use it, but now I can't do it. That's the that, that reverse racism. Awesome. Reverse racism. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I like how much power there is in that moment, though. Isn't it that is. great? It's, it's super powerful because I think that is the fear. It's like you've now taken something that I created, worked it around, and now you're telling me I can't do anything about it. And now if I do it, I might get fired. Da 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 da. Well, you know, what's interesting is we haven't even gone down that road a little bit with Mosley's pitch, right? Because for him, it was less even about sort of the N-word per se for him, right? It was more about the fact that anything he wanted to say was being silenced, period. Right? <laughs> like, he was really, he didn't even want to think about necessarily even the context of the word. He was just like, why are you silencing me from saying anything I want to say in this space? That's a bit, that's a lot, though. It is a lot because if you took the if you took the argument to its logical conclusion, he might come out for the fact that he thinks anyone should use the N word. Yeah. Like if you if you followed his his framing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I, I do have to mention, did you two see that episode of Blackish when Jack says the N word? He's on stage at school at a talent show singing Gold Digger by <laughs> Kanye West, and he gets kicked out. And his parents, of course, are furious and like, well, he's black. But then it turns out that like Rainbow had advocated for a rule that if you say it, you get kicked out immediately. It's just a very funny <laughs> treatment of this whole topic. You know, what's funny, though, like, first of all, you always ask us if we've seen episodes of Blackish and we do not watch Blackish. But uh, so, so stop asking us. But uh, but also Blackish is meant to suggest and suggest all sorts of things, right? That this is an yes. experience. This is you getting a window in, you know. Mm -hmm. Even by the title, though, they're definitely pushing buttons. There's some signals. They've gotten a lot of mileage out of this concept. They had blackish, then they had grownish, now they have mixedish. Yeah. I mean, what's next? Girlish, boyish, (laughs) whitish, clownish. What'd you say? Clownish. It's just a show about different clowns. Why? Why? Oh my God. <laughs> very and you know what? On that note, let's move on to the second topic. They're a persecuted group. Clowns are very persecuted. Oh my God. <laughs> let's move on to the next topic. So I wanted to bring this question to the group. I have been for a long time thinking about marriage not me getting married say, no what? no let's get a ring? cut okay i know <laughs> cut, 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 cut. Let, me, <laughs> let me start over so i have for a while been thinking about marriage and divorce what i've come to it's like first of all as you both know i don't really believe in marriage like not for me but also not for anybody else i just <laughs> <laughs> i love that that quick jump <laughs> I don't want it for myself, and no one can have it. I am, I'm pro-relationship. I'm pro-lifelong relationship. That's your thing. I'm just anti-legal entanglement. I'm not certain why you have to go through a legal process to break up with someone. That seems very extra. Divorce rates have been steady since uh, the mid-'80s, where it's 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And we had spoken on a previous podcast about how millennials are engaging in romantic and sexual relationships differently in that they are more reticent, et cetera. And I just wanted to throw this out to you two. Is marriage endangered? As a social, cultural artifact, 
what do you as religious artifact i think it's going to be there but as a socio-cultural artifact what do you think is the state of marriage what's its value socio-culturally well that's my question to you two what is its value i do think there's an argument to be made that it is no longer useful in the way that it was i think you can imagine a time when you wanted to have stability in a society and there was societal pressure for people to get married i'm not saying good or bad but that was just there and it did provide stability because it meant that people were going to stay in relationship to raise children and be you know the building blocks of that society it meant that potentially you were not going to have a lot of women who were not being taken care of they weren't allowed to work and so someone was going to keep contributing to them financially as well as to their kids. So you can see historically how it was useful in this day and age, at least in a society like ours, I think, yeah. And, and the bottom line is if people are so willing to get out of marriage as much as they are, then it really, like, what is it doing? It's, it's not providing that stability. So I think it's a very valid question. And the answer might be it's not really useful anymore in a society like ours. But why not? Well, because it doesn't provide that stability. If people are willing and able to get divorced, if they're not happy, if they are attracted to someone else or whatever, then if it's not providing the stability, I don't know what else it's useful for. You're focused on stability, but I'm just, I want to go back to Trisha's original question. Like, what is the value, right? Is marriage offering value to the people involved in it? And are they collecting on that value? Because you can dissolve a marriage not easily, but readily. You can dissolve it at any time. I, I know a lot of women friends who are really interested in getting married, and when you talk to them about it, they're like, oh, I just want to like settle in and relax. And I was like, you know, he could leave you. Like, You could be bored five years from now. You can just get divorced. Like, This isn't a lock-in. The value of, oh, I don't want to date around anymore. I just want one person. It's a false value because there's no guarantee like you can break up with your girlfriend now, Jason, and walk away, you know, and you if you were married, you could do that as well. So I'm not certain what marriage is providing well, other than some particular financial benefits. But even still, married couples tell me those benefits aren't that great. Although just to I appreciate what you said. Look, if if you're married and you break up, you have certain entitlements such as alimony, child sure. support, et cetera, that you don't have sure. if you weren't married. That's real. I mean, I think when I think about marriage, I think it's a useful structure to unite people who are unrelated, right? It's a it's it's a very convenient mechanism okay. to pull people together who have no other reason to be together w- by the most compelling one, which is blood, right? You know, as family members, that's 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 one way of defining family. We've developed another way of defining family, which is marriage. I think the question for me is, do do we have something else that competes with marriage now? And I don't actually believe we do. So I think that's why marriage still has resonance. Wait, what like, does I that mean? mean? Well, what, I mean, what would be an example of something that would compete with marriage? Well, that's her question. There isn't. There isn't anything that says you and I were not um, born of the same flesh and we have decided to come together and form a kind of union that stamps us as family. 
and and creates responsibilities and obligations. Nothing else exists like this within our culture. Well, Marriage there has could been be. there. There could be. There could be, but that's but but let's innovate because Trisha, I I like what you're saying. Like I understand that now. I guess my point is that this is sort of like legally, yeah, but also yeah. socially, it makes the announcement that you and I are you and I. We have an ampersand between us. It's you and I. I guess my thing is that perhaps the, the understanding that that is a temporary union because there's a there's a coin flip that it's temporary. But it's not. You know what's interesting? I don't think so because the state of marriage might be temporary, but the connections created by it can be enduring. Just because a marriage can dissolve doesn't mean it doesn't have value. I would sort of be wary of kind of dismissing something just because it's not permanent. Because what's interesting is like you can end blood relations. Like through murder? Well, not that one, but you can, dis- <laughs> you can dissolve. You can dissolve. Wait, how do you do it? What are you talking I about? I mean, you can dissolve the legal obligation you have to your child, right? And your child to you. I mean, if you're going- gross, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, people have done that. I don't know if necessarily permanence is what makes marriage of value. I think it's recognition by others as the thing that ties and binds people together such that even if it dissolves, there's still opportunities, there's still relationships that are still being defined by that previous connection. It doesn't go away. We seem to hold marriage up. For instance, like you look at Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. They have been together for, I don't know, 700 years. Well, and they are they're no longer together, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Okay, so they had been together they for had about 700 years. They weren't together anymore. What happened? I mean, they got old. They should have gotten married. <laughs> you see? <laughs> no. 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 Jason. <laughs> but this is my point. They were together forever, and they were family to each other. Like, the stamp of marriage... Uh, what you're saying, Trisha, the stamp of marriage gives them some sort of legitimacy, legitimacy in the social space. And I'm saying that, like, and Jason, your question is like, well, what else creates that legitimacy? I would like something else to create the legitimacy then, because I, I feel like maybe marriage well, how is not. Gay people do it. They, well, gay people want to get married, but before. No, no, ma- but think about before. Think about, yes. I mean, those bonds were quite strong well, before. You know what? The, the bonds are still quite strong because, like, I mean, when you're growing up gay, right, you've got to find and make your own family, right? Because chances are that your family isn't going to be the business. You know what I mean? If you watch the show Pose, you'll see that they formed families with mothers and fathers and the rest of it. And it was just an assumed connection. And you could get out of it, right? Just like you can get out of a marriage. But Mm -hmm. it was a different kind of artifact. It was a different tool that people used to say, I am connected to you. You yeah. are my mother, but, you know, that sort of thing. But we, we don't do this, but you could do it through, like, I belong to this church, and that's how I am becoming familial with this group of people. Or I could. am choosing to live in this community, a deliberate, you know, community. It's super difficult, though. See, as you're thinking about it, that's partly why marriage, I think, continues to have resonance, is that it's fairly convenient. It's a fairly convenient way of stamping relationships but and, it, um, and creating con- boundaries. Does that convenience come from the legal aspect? Let's bring this into it now. Is it because you have to... Entirely. Do it's a process. I think it's a process. 
first of all, there's a there, there's a, a whole tradition, right? There are all these rites and, and rituals that are associated to the actual act of marriage. And then it's solidified and codified by legal documents that then recognize it in society. If there was a way for me to be, for us to recognize important people who are extensions of our own personally created family, it may not have as much resonance, right? I think marriage continues to be the the enduring thing that allows for that to happen. That's true. I want something else. Why? What's the what? What's the I, I want. I, you know you? what? I want something what's, else because. Why are you pushing back on marriage? I am. Listen, my personal feelings about marriage are what they are. Outside of that, though, I just yeah. I want there to be something else because I don't feel I feel like there are a lot of important relationships that one could have in their life that the marriage is not a great tool for solidifying that union. I had to put an emergency contact person down at the CrossFit gym, uh-huh. right? And my emergency contact people are like my cousins, you, and our friend Alonzo, mm-hmm. right? That's my emergency contact people. But at the end of the day, I, other than my cousins who relate to me by blood, you or Alonzo like don't have any we don't have any ownership over each other, but when shit actually goes down, I need the two of you to know. Do you know what I mean? But there's yep. no way to codify that because I'm not nope. marrying either of you. I mean, am I anti-marriage? I'm more like meh marriage. Like it yeah. doesn't work for me. I honestly don't think it works for lots of people, but I'm not telling people they can't do it. I'm going to walk back my earlier statements. I'm not saying people can't do it. I'm just saying I wish there was another tool outside of adoption, which gay people yeah. – Used Which to then use brings you to into def- the family. Yeah, yeah. Gay, gay men used to use that to create a bond. They would adopt mm-hmm. one another. I, I just, I guess, I'm yearning for something else to say. Like these people are my family. These people are important. These people need to be on the inside track of what's going on with me. I mean, it would be fascinating to imagine that, right? Like, imagine meeting a group of friends that you feel as if you have now um, expanded your familial circle and there was a ritual that you would go through to, to, to codify that in people's minds publicly. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? It's called a corporation. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not even, no, I'm not just being, joking though. Like theoretically you could create a corporation and that would be a way to codify those relationships. I mean, because most societies are sort of patriarchal in nature, marriage is the foundational element in, mo- in all of them. It's the mechanism through which a man finds a wife and creates and shapes a family. Because Yes, if you, and because, tribes continue to exist yeah, and clans right. continue to exist, yes. Property yeah. gets passed down. It, it, it's very useful in all those ways. And that was my point at the beginning. It's not useful anymore in the United States because we don't stay married. <laughs> but I mean, but what's what's noteworthy about it is that because and we we've, we've now arrived a little bit back at the question that Chris raised, which is like, why do we need marriage? And I think the reason why we need marriage is because I'm going to blame it on you all gay people. You didn't push enough to create something new. You basically, we tried. No, you didn't. You retreated back into the marriage thing. You could have offered an alternate. You could have also you could have offered an alternate arrangement, but you went back to marriage. <laughs> This whole thing's your fault. How dare you bring it up? I was How dare you bring it I up. was anti that whole marriage movement because I was I'm one of those radical queers who were like, you know what's great? Let's cancel marriage for everyone and restructure society from the bottom up. You, you I mean, involved on this. That was not always your talk. That wasn't always my talk, but you know what? I 
we don't have time to talk about all my personal feelings about marriage, but so much of it is just creating a gilded cage for women that I'm not certain that that is something that we should be doing. But again, I would but just that's prefer. That's what I mean. I think really one of the th- one of the reasons why I think you push back on it is that it's ve- by its very foundation, it's patriarchal. I'm. I mean, I'm trying to think about you know what is it matriarchal matrilineal societies. I mean, they're units. They they come together. But even even though it's just that it's just that they value and like tradition and all things just goes through the maternal line. They're still marriage. <laughs> yeah, they're still patriarchal. Even if things are matrilineal, they yep. tend to be patriarchal society. The power is still still there in the men. Gross. See, that's what it comes down to. I mean, I think it would be entirely radical to reconfigure the very notion of marriage. And I think, or very notion of any kind of social constructed relationship that is not defined as a marriage, it's impossible. We have not been able to come up with one. Well, I just think we should try. That's all. I I feel like the way that our society is constructed today is that especially with women having the positions that they have, is that marriage is not as useful to women as it has been. And I really feel like not only did it keep societies and tribes and whatever together, but it was security for women to make sure that they would continue right. to be taken care of. And right. now we have women who can fully do it for themselves. So I'm I'm not certain if this particular tool that we've had for millennia still works. But, you know, then again, we've had it for millennia. Who am I to decide? <laughs> but... No, I, I'm becoming very fond of Chris's friends, LLC. <laughs> So should we all start a corporation, the three of us? <laughs> well, we might have had it forever, but the nature of it could very change, very well change. I mean, I think it would be worthwhile. <sighs> all right. So uh, let's move on to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Trisha? It's been a really long time that I've actually um, read a book. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I mean, but here we are. This is who you are now. It just takes me a really long time to get into books. And so I read a lot of like articles and stuff like that. But I was actually on a flight and was awake for the whole thing and read a pretty good book, actually. I quite like it. It was um, called Race After Technology. It was written by Ruha Benhamin. She really is conceiving of how inequalities is being translated in a digitized world. She writes about, you know, you've heard of like Michelle Alexander. The new Jim Crow. She talks about the new Jim Code and talking about how sort of racism is like is code is encoded in technology. It's really a fascinating exploration of all the different things that you probably have been reading in the news, you know, facial recognition technology. Why does it always happen this way? How how do we how do we always end up making the same mistake? And there's just one group of people that's constantly being harmed and endangered by technology. How is it the same group? Is it accidental? Is it on purpose? Why? Why does this keep happening? Actually, very readable. About 286 pages, and I got through it in about three hours. I would highly encourage you all to read it. I think I think it's really thoughtful and a very engaging way of thinking through and by all of the sort of technological positivism that we keep seeing. It's tech is going to save us. Not so sure. <laughs> that sounds really fascinating. Jason? I just today finished reading Blended, which is a novel written for adolescents by Mm -hmm. Sharon Draper, written from the point of view of a biracial girl whose 
white mother and black father get divorced to tie that into our last topic. It was really good. I cried like every 10 minutes. Aww. It was really good, though. That's adorable. (laughs) I am going to recommend a throwback just because I've been watching this and I've been excited about it. It is the show Battlestar Galactica. So when I was growing up, there was a show called Battlestar Galactica in the 80s, and then they remade it. Yeah, it was 2004 to 2008, and it is the story of these humans who are out in space, and they are being annihilated by these machines called the Cylons, and the surviving 50,000 humans get in their spaceships, and they're trying to find the lost colony of Earth. Why do I like it? Well, one... It is really well written, written, and it seems fairly timeless. Like, this was a story they were telling 15 years ago, but Mm -hmm. they have managed to create a world that has slightly different language. Like, the military uniforms are slightly different. Even the haircuts, because usually you can tell, like, what whenever they do a a future thing, just looking at the haircuts of the show, you can tell, (laughs) like, what time it was. It's like Star Wars, right? You know that was the 70s because of the haircuts, but I just find they've done a really good job of shaping a world. I've just been enjoying it and I've been binge watching the show. And what's it called again? It's called Battlestar Galactica. And sci-fi just to be clear, you're watching the one from the 2000s. Yes. Not from- yes. Not the one from that was, I, I remember the one from me the too. 80s. And I could that not get, I could not get into it. That was super <laughs> dated. It's got a lot of religious themes. It's got a lot of like always. Christ themes. Always. I think the show has a lot to say about women. A lot of the women of the show are, I mean, they're basically Eve in the garden. They're always like whispering things to the men who are weak and getting them to make bad decisions. And, you know, there's several of those characters in the show. And I was like, whoever wrote this has problems with women. But I it's, but you love it. But, but I, lo- I love it because it, it takes on like a because they are like Eve in the garden, like so much of it is a parable. And it just plays out really well. I would recommend it. You have to be into sci fi. If you're not to sci-fi, I don't think it's going to work. But a lot of the stories are just very human stories. It's a military adventure. I'd recommend it. Battlestar Galactica from the early 2000s. Fantastic. And there it is. How's LA treating you? You just got back there. You know, I've just been on the road too long. And I was just like, I just need settling down a little bit. Um, oh, hell so yes. Yeah. <laughs> hell Yes. And it's now, um, and it's now cool now. You you guys are about to experience a heat wave out here, but we are. There's fabulous. always a September heat wave over here yeah. for some. They just like it's a last gasp mm-hmm. before it plunges into like what feels like nine months of darkness and wind. <laughs> 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 oh, listeners, uh, join us ne- <laughs> join us next week for another outrageous dialogue with someone fascinating and we'll come back in two weeks but until then bye everybody bye